0: and Merry Christmas Eve. Welcome to our 2022 edition of Scary Ghost Stories, a tradition we've grown to love very much. Every year we bring you a couple tales of Christmas spirits, and this year we did things a little bit differently. Leslie and I did this live on the internet, and what we did was write down the names of 20 or so Victorian ghost stories in a book of them that I have, put them in a hat, and we drew them at random. Uh, Each of us got a story that we had never seen before, and you're hearing us read them for the first time. It was really, really fun. The stories are really good, and it's our favorite way to cap off the holiday season. So I hope you all are happy and warm and safe, and we'll be back with more true crime after the holidays are over. So, without further ado, please enjoy some scary ghost stories. I'm Holly. I'm Leslie. And we We would be dead. dead. Leslie has a hat with the names of all other stories except for the 20 page ones in this book, which is uh, Victorian Christmas ghost stories. And we will draw from the hat and then we will read what we draw. We've never read them before. So it's gonna be fun. It's gonna be interesting. We're drinking bourbon. So it's gonna get more interesting. Dip says bye. He did his duty. You did a good job, Dippy. He'll be back. Um, so it'll get more interesting as we roll along, but tonight is our Scary Ghost Stories um, episode in keeping with tradition that we do every year, and you'll be able to get our, our full Scary Ghost Stories on Christmas Eve like we do every year. Um, so we'll have maybe these, maybe other ones. Maybe more. It really depends on how it goes. Tonight we are drinking... Um,
1: Old Fashions? Uh, yeah, Maker's Mark burp, uh whiskey. Mm-hmm.
0: Bourbon. It's, good. It's, good. It's, bourbon. it's bourbon maker's mark looks at her cherry um, it's low water we don't usually have bitters yeah uh okay well I guess we could just go it okay. doesn't matter do you want me to go first yeah Yes. you're like staring <laughs> into this hat like the void I'm gonna get one of the wolf ones that I didn't want to read I know it oh no the ghostly Christmas gift alright let's find it shall we We shall. I should have written the pages down, huh? I didn't.
1: It's on page 109. How'd you do that so fast? Oh, boy, Leslie.
0: I'm really good at crosswords and word searches. (laughs) Is that
1: what that was? Not crosswords, but word
0: searches. (laughs) Okay. The Ghostly Christmas Gift by F.H. Brunell, A story of this land and that. Hmm. So a little bit about Frank H. Brunel, because this book is kind enough to give us a little author info as well. 1852 to 1933 was the founder of the groundbreaking horse racing newspaper, The Daily Racing Form. a sports writer and secretary of an early baseball players union and league. He sounds like he's going to have a very weird, fun accent. Um, this story appeared in a paper for which he also had served as sports editor, the Cleveland Plain Dealer of December 25th, 1887, and delivers on its narrator's belief that ghosts should not be commonplace. Oh. Not okay. commonplace. Okay. Ghosts. Where should they be? Rare place. Mm. So, away we go. Some tales are best not told. Until today, with an assignment to contribute to the Christmas Plain Dealer staring me very hard in the face, I held this idea of the story that I am going to tell. But, in sketching the past, real and imaginative, for an incident out of which a tale and my task could be accomplished, I hit on this, the strangest story that I have ever heard connected with mortal man. That's a big statement. Yeah. It didn't happen to me, for which I am glad. But I knew the man whose life was wound in with its weird incidents, whose soul was warped by the mysterious visitations taken as he firmly believed as penance for a revengeful act, and whose death was dramatic to a degree of mysterious atrocity. This is a big setup. It is perhaps one of the oddities of literature in its connection with humanity that Christmas is essentially a season of ghosts Mm -hmm. and it has always seemed an oddity to me that there should be such a lack of oddity about the typical ghost. If that is the right term and a ghost can be typical, there doesn't seem to be any particular reason why ghosts should be so commonplace. Very few of the literary and reminiscent specters with which I have been acquainted. I am glad that the connection has been no closer. Have been dull, thin, and melancholy wraiths, without light or mellowness, and certainly lacking anything that could be galvanized and called, called humor. Wraiths! I love
1: those. You love a wraith.
0: I do. Perfect. They're so helpful. There have been fat ghosts and jolly ghosts if there have been any ghosts at all. And some shades or lights, there is no reason why a spirit should be libeled as a shade that have returned their earthly smiles. So he's trying to say like, some ghosts are gonna be nice and normal. They're not all gonna be spooky, scary ghosts. Okay, I could get behind that. Okay. Yeah. yeah. Not everybody is a spooky, scary person. No. At least there should be if there are not. And considering the fact, which is unquestioned if we admit the other fact of ghostly existence, that ghosts stay out late a night, and our light of foot, jollity, and variety must lurk within their airy breasts. If ever I run against a spirit, and am not too startled to use my faculties, I shall, for the good of literature and verbal tales of the future, draw it out, note the peculiarity of the spectral mind, and peer through its conversation for a piece of fancy or flash of humor. But perhaps it will be as well for a literary illusionist, and to the man or woman of imagination, all is possible. To paint or pen a ghostly hood or spectral heart better than the natural acquaintance with such a ghost would serve to establish in its records. So this is when they paid people a penny a word. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So more words means more money. Just like if you read Christmas Carol, Charles Dickens is like, Marley was dead, dead that Marley was dead as a door- doornail. Did I mention Marley was dead? He was very, very dead. Because every single one of those words was a penny. So rough, isn't it? It they really have- stretched it though. <laughs>
1: It's interesting to me, though, because it doesn't make sense. Like, you would think that there would still be an editor being, like, unnecessary. We're trying to, like, save money. Nope.
0: That's so strange. No, the more words, the merrier. For people back then, they just wanted word counts. Um, and you looked really smart if you use lots of big ones. That's why this guy is using, like, a hundred weird adjectives. And there, it's, there's, like, nothing. There's no reason. Anyway, there's your history lesson for the moment. Thank you. You're welcome. And this notion seems most eyeable not really a word, Um, when I consider the power of such creation and the possible weakness of the actual creation. After all, both would be airy and neither could be put under the set and austere eye of the microscope or dissected by the logical and exposing examination of your materialistic investigator. And at the present stage of the human game, a fanciful pretty is of more account than a home fact. That's the same sentence 18 times that he just said. Ghosts, are not all spooky dementors. They could be normal people. That's what he spent that whole paragraph saying. But this is not telling my story. No, it is not. Having never seen a spirit myself, and holding no energetic desire to see one, I can but say that I believe the story that John Fleming told me, because I believed in John Fleming. Faults he had, what man has not. But he was built on very fine mental and physical lines. And if I am deceived, it was only because he was too the victim of a morbid fever that crippled his life away. And because, I know, that was a spooky one. And because there were unmistakable evidences to me of the influences that wrought his ruin, we are entirely different. My life had been in the town where civilization asserts itself and claims supremacy. Of course, such a habitation forces itself into the humanity it holds and surrounds. But John had been a wanderer from his youth had seen the four corners of the world and profited by what he had seen. I had known him as a young man when my school days were beginning. Later, as the brawny and bronze lion of our small town, when I was on the brink of college and he was restlessly, resting restlessly, whew, between jaunts to the end of the world. In his youth, Fleming had been a little wild.
1: Okay, oh,
0: yes, yes, <laughs> yes, Fleming. And the stories connected with him had made him the bane of his mother, mothers of the beauties of the town a oh, bane of the mothers of the beauties of the town so he yes was ooh i like that yeah, bane, bane of, of the, the mothers, mothers of the beauty of the, of the town. town yeah so <laughs> he um was a ladies man okay so mothers were like okay. oh shit fleming is coming to town he's gonna fuck my child yes and maybe and maybe also me, me. yes <laughs> <Okay. I laughs> hi my daughter oh, so no. i have a chance <laughs> So he's the bane of the mothers of the beauties of the town and the idol of their daughters. But as far as M Dash was mm-hmm. concerned, we have a mysterious person entering the oh. chat. Nothing was seen of Fleming's wildness. I started for college and John for Liverpool via New York on the same day. And he shook hands with me most heartily as father and I left the train when our station was reached. Most heartily. Very good. Promising to hunt me up when he came back. If I ever do, he said with a ringing laugh, which he may never come back. (laughs) Oh, I don't think he does. (laughs) (laughs) I finished my college work and began the more serious business that followed, but didn't see John Fleming again for ten years. Wow, that's a whole decade. I know, long time for Fleming to be fucking and fighting or whatever he's doing. One fall evening, as I sat at my desk, hard at work, a tall and spare man with bronzed and lined face and thick... Oh, dear. (laughs) he tried to jump on the couch and missed sorry (laughs) and thick black hair mustache and beard in which the gray was coming fast strode into my room and holding out his hand said hello are you my boy i should have known the eyes if i had not seen them and the voice had i not heard it in 50 years it was john fleming but a different john fleming from the athletic man i had left at the little railroad station Mm -hmm. in new york 10 years before I think this guy has a crush on John Fleming himself. I think he does. (laughs) Um, We we shook hands heartily. He telling me... Very good. Telling me how he had come from M- to see me when he found out where I was from mother. He inquired about my life and plans and let me finish my work. I agreed... I I, having agreed to dine and talk over old and new times the next day. So they're going to catch up. He and John Fleming. Yes. We love John Fleming. So... When he had gone to his hotel, I could not help thinking, to the great damage of my copy for the next day's paper, how much John Fleming had changed and aged and thinned. I think he's disappointed. These thoughts were renewed to the damage of my sleep when I reached home. The man seemed well, but there was a settled look of melancholy in his eyes and a corresponding ring in his voice that made me wonder more than I wondered over anything within my recollection. What had changed John Fleming? I don't know. But I slept the question into submission, rose at noon, oh, he slept in, rose at noon. Okay. Mm -hmm. And hurried to John Fleming's hotel for dinner, thinking perhaps that I should find him more cheerful of eye and voice than that continued travel might have temporarily depressed him. So it's like, maybe he's tired from his trip. He was gone for 10 years. (laughs) That's a long trip. Maybe he needs a nap. Yeah, I mean, when you come back
1: from a vacation, you need another vacation. Yes. But 10 years? Especially another... if you're jet-lagged.
0: He was in, um, like, England, I thought he said. So there was a time difference to deal with. Like, yeah, he's tired. But the man I met had the same melancholy aspect because, you know, like, 12 hours didn't fix it. Um, <laughs> and his manner sank deeper into me as I talked with him before dinner. Mm-hmm. There was, evidently, a pall of some kind on John Fleming. We lingered over dessert and the old days and characters at M-Dash. As we left the table, John said, finish your work and come up tonight. Do you think they're
1: talking about Miskatonic? Miskatonic? Who it? I don't maybe. Is it a person or a place? I think it's a place. M-dash. Okay. Mm-hmm. I'm going to say it's Miskatonic. That's where it is. And all my
0: Lovecraftian friends can know what I'm talking about. There you go, perfect. I told him that I couldn't get away from the office until midnight. No matter, he said. Come then. I shall be up. Mm. Jet lag. I'm telling you. It I ground out the usual amount of copy and left the office at 11.30, going straight to Fleming's room. He was up and writing, as though supplying the insatiable genius of the daily necromancer, always hungry for a copy, for copy. Maybe yeah, this is the university. Yeah. As I entered, he threw down his pen and said, My dear fellow, I'm glad you are here. That star had nearly frozen me to desperation, pointing to a peculiarly bright and twinkling star that shone through the window as if asking for admission. And as I looked at the star I was struck with the fact that it alone illuminated space. Not another ray or spot of light stood out in the dark sky, and the star was very near, very bright, and very nervous. Before the melancholy in John Fleming's voice I should have been inclined to laugh at its peculiar appearance. There was humor in it and in me, but mine was checked by the interest and curiosity I felt in John Fleming's depression. But the star compelled attention, and after fifteen minutes' silent smoking and eye-fencing with it, I acknowledged its strange attraction and slashed the curtain between it and my eyes. I should be glad if you could shut that cursed thing out, said Fleming as the curtain fell down, wondering at such a remark. I glanced at the window covering and started as I saw the jagged edges of the star in the deep red outline in the curtain center. If this shit is aliens, I will lose my mind. I don't know. Do you think they wrote about aliens then? I don't really think so, but I don't know. And this yeah. is like crazy. As I started, John said with more intensity than I had ever associated with his voice. Ah, you see to it. That kills the hallucination theory and proves your interest in me. So I guess John Fleming thought he was, hallucination, he was hallucinating that star. All this was puzzling to me and my blood ran colder than, it, than was its wont. The star and Fleming... Oh, thank you were evidently old acquaintances and the peculiar outline on the curtain and the stillness of the room affected me more than anything ever had affected me up to that time these are big statements is doing yeah. like this is the worst <coughs> at last fleming who had been smoking viciously at a big strong cigar very good and blowing huge clouds at the stars outline huge clouds <laughs> As though to cloud it out of view. So he's trying to like blow smoke in it so he can't see it anymore. Good job. I, I feel better about it. I don't see it anymore. <laughs> oh, wait, it's a stogie though, right? Yeah. Perfect. That cursed thing. And so it affects you too? I said that it did, and peculiarly. But not guiltily, said John. I started guiltily? Peculiarly? <laughs> yes. No. <laughs> Was it the shadow or symbol of a crime? And if so, who was the victim? Surely not John Fleming. No, couldn't be. And I pondered in silence with the desire, but without the energy to ask the question. And the star twinkled malevol- malevolently on. It's a good twinkling. Thank you. I had become sure by this time that it's, in its twinkling there was spite. This star is freaking them out. Okay. Uh, I lost my... There you go. Because of a constant and jerky movement, human spite and malevolence is so thrown out and it has always been my experience to find them more energetic than any kind of attribute. My ruminations were cut short by John Fleming's sharp question. You do not see the face? What face? I asked him. Oh, I hate this. Yep, scary. (laughs) All right, scary ghost story. He gave no answer, but the star's outline danced diabolically. At last, <laughs> uh, tiny pizza Friday over there. Okay. <laughs> at last, Fleming roused himself and, with a defiant glance and a shake of his fist at the outline on the curtain, and before which menaced the outline menace menace the outline seemed to wobble and fade, said, "I may as well tell you the story of my life, and of that devilish star and the more devilish face behind it. Could you see the face? It would aid in substantiating my story." But you know me well enough to know that I will tell you the truth. Besides this, men make confessions to ease their souls or minds or what you will. and There is no ease in adding to the weight we carry. I have carried my weight for nine years. And for the life I took at that time, my own is gradually going out. Oh, John Fleming murdered somebody. He killed someone. Oh shit, that gave me goosebumps. Ew. God. Fleming, who was that? bad boy. Let's we'll find out. <laughs> I shivered. So this guy's shivering too. As Fleming said this, he laid his hand upon my arm and continued, hear me out. My act was heady and full of revenge, but no assassination. It had men's approval, but never my own. You know how I have wandered all my life and remember the day, now 10 years ago, that I shook hands with you and your father at E-New York. I guess we're like blotting out locations because this is supposedly a true story. I went straight to New York, from thence to Liverpool and sailed from that town without a week's delay for Melbourne, Victoria. So now he's in Australia. A party of us was to organize and equip an expedition for the Western Australian pearl fishing grounds with headquarters at Perth at the head of the Swan River. The expedition started with four vessels and 10 of us sharing in them, crews, divers, and apparatus. But a storm knocked all us to pieces before we routed to, fuck, Ponte. Okay, Frenchie, what does that say? Pont de... Entrecasteux? Entrecasteux, yeah. Okay. And of the ten bosses and forty sailors and divers, but six and eighteen reached what is now Albany. Six and eighteen, why would you measure it like that? Anyway. The rest went down with the fishing boats. By a lucky grab, I had managed to save one of the partners from drowning. I had never seen him until he joined us at Melbourne and told me that his name was George Wilson. He was a Californian, strong, mm-hmm. alert, and evidently a man who had seen and acted a great deal.
1: Californian, all right, yes, George.
0: <laughs> I took to the man after grabbing him from the hungry Southern Pacific, and he seemed to take to me. The sailors soon found work to the work on the upgoing pear, pearl fishing boats. Sorry, fortunate enough to have escaped the gale, and four of the partners decided to go up and renew their fortunes at the pearl oyster banks. For myself, I had enough of pearls, and so I found had Wilson. <laughs> enough of all these pearls! At least he asked me to join him and return to America. He showed me charts of a strip of country in South America where there was gold enough, he said, to make a score of men as rich as Monte Cristo. Mm-hmm. Would I go? Yes. Yeah, uh-huh. obviously. <laughs> oh sure. I'm going. Yeah. With George? Yes. <laughs> yes, George. Let's go get some gold. <laughs> If I continued to think as well of the trip as I did then. But why hadn't he gone before? He said that he had only had the chart a month. It had been given to him by an American miner who had died of Queensland fever in a Sydney hospital. A small Queens- child? Queensland fever? <laughs> <laughs> I think so. Oh, <laughs> I get it. And after he had vest- invested all of his money in the pearl fishing expedition, it would take 500 pounds to equip and put us on the Colombian ground, which is where the gold was. I had the money. Okay, Fleming. Yeah, Yeah, the money. Good Mm -hmm. looking and rich. Five thousand, five hundred pounds at the ready in the late 1800s. You are very wealthy. Yeah. So. I'll get my act together. I had the money, was satisfied with the explanation, and we hurried to Sydney and took the first Pacific steamer for San Francisco. We landed there in June, and after nine days spent in fitting ourselves out, I, I supplying the cash, we took a trading steamer for Buenaventura, United States of Columbia. And after a week's lounging and outfitting, started anew and over the Andes. So wait, they were lounging and outfitting for a week in South America. I, they I are dating. It. Yeah. that's a hundred percent yeah What's they're happening? they're having adventure dates i love this i for them. love this for them too i mean this sounds like <laughs> this is a, what we need it is it is indeed a whole decade of adventure dates. lounging yes. outfitting <laughs> <laughs> every time we're just like hanging out and be like we're lounging and outfitting leave us be <laughs> that's great i love that Okay, so then they started anew, We've had and enough of pearls. <laughs> enough pearls! Time to lounge an outfit, and now we're gonna head over the Andes. Time to climb a mountain. Choosing the fertile passes for a route to Santa Fe de Bogota. Another rest and another star southeasterly, and then over to Llanos de San Juan, and across the river into the strip of land 500 miles long and 300 miles wide, southeast of the Colombian and northwest of the Brazilian vine. Penny a word. <laughs> Here's my longitude and latitude! We don't need it. It's fine. You could just tell us you're in Colombia. Yeah. <laughs> um, then claimed by both countries and given over to the desperados of each or those of any land that chose to wander so far from civilization. We met plenty of hunters of gold, such as we were, on the road and had to watch our riding and pack mules very closely. Twenty days out from Bogota, we began to consult with Wilson's chart and found ourselves within a few miles of our gold ground. We found the valley and old riverbed that were set down as our chief guides about the time that we ran across as motley a group of prospectors as was ever gathered. Mm. A motley group of prospectors. My, my. 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 <laughs> oh. <Uh-oh. laughs> <laughs> there was half a score in the party, and it was led by a Chilean desperado. Okay. There's
1: so many people in this I know.
0: This is wild. Such men in such callings are rare in South America. I The fellow, Juan Comigo, as he was called, demanded that we join his band and tell our businesses. Wilson was nervously furious and, had I not held him in, would have made a fighting dash for it. Wilson's feisty. But I explained to the brigand that we were engineers employed by the Colombian government to make maps and of the debatable ground for diplomatic use assured him that we had no taste for a life on the plains with its horse and cattle-stealing forays, much as it might be to our interest to join the band of such a genius as Juan Comigo. But We like to lounge and outfit. Yes, we're lounging and outfitting. He was sinister, but let us go unwillingly. Mm -hmm. An hour out, we found that spies were on our tracks, and they dogged us for five days, during which I made hundreds of imaginary calculations in my voluminous notebook, used a large compass and line for alleged measurements, all the while pretending not to see the spies and ordering Wilson not to notice them. So they're pretending to be engineers by drawing lines and writing numbers. My goodness. That meant nothing. So I have a question.
1: Are we back in time getting to the part where Fleming kills someone? Okay,
0: just making sure. (laughs) He's telling a story. Okay. At the end of the fourth day, Camigo's dogs withdrew. At the end of the fifth, we stopped our mummery, and after riding ten leagues... (laughs) Stop all this mummery. They are not (laughs) (laughs) Philadelphia. No, they're not. (laughs) Also racist. Um, After riding ten leagues as fast as our animals would carry us, found a cave and lay in hiding for a week. Oh, man.
1: A whole week in a cave?
0: They spent a week in a cave? Lounging well, it out for right day. but like did they have a picnic basket or something they 100 did
1: <laughs> they're like boy
0: boy where's our charcuterie <laughs> bring me wine this isn't so bad <laughs> then we cautiously retraced our steps and were soon within the marks of our chart with Camigo and his coyotes away why are the coyotes now they were dogs a minute ago three days later in the partially concealed depression of the valley Evidently an old steam bed. We found enough gold in nuggets to found a monarchy or corrupt the world. They meant a lot of gold. It was pure metal in rugged and particularly shining lumps from an ounce to several pounds in weight. Wow, yeah. In two days, we had divided the necessities in our pack mule's burden between us, cashed the rest and loaded the spare animal and our own with between four and 500 pounds of the yellow nuggets most exposed to view.
1: Yeah, I'm glad they changed it to Golden Nugget. That sounds way better mm-hmm,
0: mm-hmm. than Yellow
1: Nugget. It's just like... Yellow Nugget. Like hard mustard.
0: <laughs> Yellow snow. Yeah. No good. On the night of December 24th, we were within three days' ride of Bogota and in a wild and arid plain, I be. It was Wilson's turn to guard and mine to sleep. At midnight, I was wakened by a shrill neigh. I glanced toward the fire and saw a pack mule saddled and Wilson in the act of mounting his own riding animal and with the bridle of my own in his hand. He's stealing everything! <gasps> Wilson's stealing it all! Wilson! I know! That's Wilson! Yes. yes! George Wilson! He's yes. stealing all the Wilson. gold! And the animals! Dippy got really into that for minute. In a second I saw that he was about to desert me with the gold and seizing my rifle I drew a bead on him and shot him through the back as he prepared to jump into the saddle. He never spoke a word or moved a muscle after I reached him. The shot was a killing one. Oh man. Fucking Shot George Wilson. I mean, he was doing everything. Him. I know. He had the stop of the man. He really did. Upon the blanket in which I was rolled, I found a note which jeeringly bade me goodbye and told me that I had served his purpose well. Oh, so he wrote him a note that I was like, bye, thanks for everything, See ya. Now I'm just imagining him rolled in the bank blanket, just like burritoed up (laughs) in the blanket, yeah. Roll out. I buried him in the valley, divided the load of gold between the two mules, and pushed on to Bogota and thence to Buenaventura. Yeah. At the latter place, I boxed the gold and shipped it with myself to San Francisco, where I turned it into cash. It yielded $18,000. Nice. That's amazing. Uh Uh-huh. So much for the story of my relations with Wilson and the manner of his death. He richly deserved what he got, though I would rather have lost my own life in the Colombian Plains than taken his. But I shot him on the impulse of the moment. The $18,000 grew and multiplied in California, and I am rich. That does not interest you. The strange part of my story remains to be told, since the day I killed Wilson, his spirit and its symbol, and its symbol, that devilish star. And as he spoke, the star leaped as if in laughter and grew redder. Has attended me. It has come between me and those I loved and is ever present. I have never rested in its baneful presence. And each Christmas day, I find upon my table a lump of gold in the form of a star, in which Wilson's features are impressed. See them? So I guess he's like, here it is. And John Fleming went to a cabinet and took from a case therein nine shining and rough pieces of gold, each in the form of a star and each with the features of a man sunken into them. I know, gross. Each of the nine was an exact duplicate of the other. I could not resist a shudder as I saw them, and a strange thrill or concussion as from a current of electricity passed through me as I lifted one from the drawer. And the shadow of the symbolic star leaped and laughed on the curtain as though in malice at my terror, John Fleming buried his face in his hands and raised it as I put my hand on his shoulder and said that he was the victim of a trick. Oh, I don't think so. Oh no, you do not see that horrible face beyond, he said with a shudder. It is not for others' eyes than mine. The star is visible, the face is not. I ran to the window and dashed up the curtain. There hung the star in the dark sky, yet out of it, and it was the only light on the sky's front. It danced at me and threw its bloody glare upon the wall but no face was visible. I drew the curtain down again, preferring the shadow to the star itself. I was impressed against my will as to its supernatural origin, but turned up the lamps and called for more lights so as to drown it out. The servant saw nothing and Fleming told me that only those he loved ever saw the star. Oh, and none but himself, the face. So the reason he could see the star is because John Fleming loves him. Aw. Okay. I know. I bade him goodnight and went home to think, but not to sleep. I had hardly got to bed when I was summoned by a message from P Dash, the night clerk at Fleming's hotel. Something was wrong with Mr. Fleming. I hurried on with my clothes and ran to the hotel and upstairs to John Fleming's room. He sat at the table where I had left him, dead. In his hands was a pistol and through his temple a bullet. The star's reflection still danced on the curtain, and its origin was still shining bloodily in front of the sky. I seemed to see the thin outline of a receding face also as I lifted the curtain, but do not know whether it was the recollection of the visage on the gold stars still hanging on me. And then the star faded out, and from that day to this, I have never seen it. On the table before which all that was left of John Fleming sat were two letters. One was addressed to me. It charged me to see that his belongings went to his sister, and that $18,000 was paid to the local hospitals. He left me his watch and ring and the nine golden stars. I went to the cabinet to see them. Their case was there, but they had gone. Mm. The ghostly Christmas gifts from the malevolent spirit which controlled the face and the star and marking the Christmas tragedy upon the Colombian plains had been taken back to the land from this. That was a pretty good one. All right. It kind of petered out, but it was pretty good. Yeah. Yeah. What'd you guys think? Did you like it? Let me know. Let Penny a word explains the 10-page theme descriptions. Yes, it does. If you read Christmas yes. Carol, Charles Dickens was a wordy, wordy motherfucker, and there's a reason why. Yes. Um, so, yeah. No sticker for you. Hi, Dr. Lisa. Hey. How are you? Anybody else have their pizza, or is it just me? Satanic Pizza Friday. What, what? What kind of bourbon was that before? Do we already answer mm-hmm. that? It's Maker's Mark. <laughs> yep.
1: Um, I don't know how I'm supposed to follow you okay. reading. I probably should
0: have started first. Why? I never read that before. That was just there. Yeah, but you're a good reader. Oh, thanks. I like a good read. Mm-hmm. Do you want me to only pick out the four page ones for you? Mm-hmm. <laughs> are those? Well, you pick one and then I'll tell you if it's like crazy long or something. Okay.
1: Guys, I get I get tired.
0: <laughs> See, I could do that forever.
1: I didn't even have to write that. I just read it. Okay. Mm.
0: Bert Pringle and the Bell ah, 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 Snickle. and the Bell Snickle. That's Bells- a short Snickle. one. That's a good one. Okay. Forty Fringe. to forty-six. It's six Pringle. pages long. Bert Pringle and the Bell Snickle. We've talked about Bell Snickle before. And the Bell Snickle. He's like a Krampus buddy. Okay. And that is like the second one. The okay. Page. I will get you to your page. Yeah, there you go. Okay. Now Leslie's going to read us "Bert Pringle and the Bell Snickle.
1: And I'm gonna learn a lot of new words today.
0: <laughs> We're all learning together today. Dr. Lisa's reading while, oh, she's listening while wrapping Christmas presents. What a fun thing. How cute, how cute. I'm glad we could be part of your Christmas present wrapping.
1: All right, so Bert Pringle and the Bell Snickle. Who wrote it? Bill Brample. <laughs> Tell us a little bit about Bill Brample. Okay. So does it have a thing? The European traditions had various punitive companions to Santa Claus, most of which did not seem to travel to the United States before or during the Victorian era. One exception was Felsnickel, who remained part nervous. of celebrations by the Pennsylvania Dutch oh. from Germany's Rhineland. Mm. In appearance, Snickle is something like a rustic Santa, but sometimes incorporating traits more closely related to Krampus. Descriptions of the tradition are not uncommon in English, but stories featuring him are. Bill Bramble, which is in quotations. Uh,
0: maybe that's a pen name. It's probably a female. Then. Oh, I should get Krampus to listen with us. Keep going. Okay. Wrote, Bill Bramble wrote poetry and short fiction
1: for the Syracuse, New York newspapers, The Star and the Republican in the mid-1850s, occasionally reprinted by other papers. The following piece originally appeared in the Syracuse Republican on November 11,
0: 1853. Crampy! Good day, I got this one, uh, well, this one appeared in my home after I came back from uh, my trip. And just mysteriously appeared and now sometimes when my kids wake up the elves are doing things and Krampus has done something very naughty you know what I've never understood about
1: the elves the elf on the shelves so a lot of times parents show them doing like like silly things or like bad things like sometimes but wouldn't you want them to be doing like good stuff like they they like cleaned a dish and they're like look this is what you're supposed to do, child.
0: <laughs> they just, they leave every night to go report back to Santa. Yeah. And when they, when you wake up, they're in a different spot.
1: Yeah. So. I get that. But they should be like cleaning the toilet. <laughs>
0: Being like... Ours do all kinds of things. This is what things. Santa would like you to do. <laughs> Ours never do bad things. They're usually doing fun things. Like, they're painting a picture or reading oh, a story. Yeah. So that's or good. they yeah. roast marshmallows by the fire. Yeah. And, like, they leave presents for the kids sometimes. Mm-hmm. Or so they don't never do... They don't, like, yeah. shit Hershey Kisses or anything. I'm Yeah, because there are some that are, like, really bad.
1: They are. Yeah. Like, they, like, make huge messes. There's, like, pasta all over the floor.
0: Dobby is free. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah. Well, Krampus sometimes uh, Krampus left my kids cold the other day, so, oh boy, it was chocolate. Cold, it's fine. Ooh. He also leaves them notes in broken English, which is really fun. So it says like, "I left you cold. Just kidding, it's chocolate. <laughs> 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 this is what it's like to live in my house. Yeah. <laughs> anyway,
1: take it away, Leslie. Okay. As the holidays are coming on and election is fairly over, the following anecdote may not be uninteresting to many of the readers of the Syracuse Republican, okay. but before I go any further, let me explain to those who are unacquainted with the word, the meaning of bells it is, As to its origin or derivation, I have little to say. I know not whether it be hog Latin or lop-eared Dutch, perhaps a mixture of both. Hog Latin? You mean like pig Latin? Nope, lop-eared Dutch. Okay, <laughs> that's one I've never heard. But this I do know, that it is used in the Pennsylvanian German dialect to designate a very singular sort of being, a great terror to bad children, and consequently a terror to all. <gasps> he is a kind of Dutch Santa Claus, but with the difference, Santa Claus is said to ride in a beautiful... Cutter drawn by reindeers, while Belsnickle crams his pants in his boot taps <laughs> and journeys <laughs> <Viggies> on foot. <laughs> crams them. I'm just
0: gonna tuck my pants into my boots and trek on through. <laughs> I get it. I do you that know, every morning with my Uggs. <laughs> I, I mean, if it's snowy out too, you gotta tuck those pants in. I get it. Yeah. You
1: only get I feel like I connect to Belsnickle.
0: Okay. 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 okay.
1: Santa Claus is said to make his entry by the chimney flue and chooses the hour of midnight when everyone is soundly asleep for his visits. While Snickle comes boldly in at the door and is never later than nine.
0: <laughs> <laughs> Snickle's like, I had shit to do. Yeah. Let's get this show on the road. I got a party to go to I tonight. do not care if you see me.
1: <laughs> Santa Claus distributes his gifts according, 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 accord, According. according. I want to say accordingly. Accordingly? No, but it's not. It's just according. Oh, okay. (laughs) I just wanted to say. Okay. Like according to? Yeah. Oh, Oh, Mary Lloyd is so drunk. So Santa Claus distributes his gifts according to age and merit, placing them in stockings, which are hung up from for that purpose. To the good his gifts are appropriate, but sometimes the significant apparition of a raw hide appearing from their pendant hosiery will strike terror into the hearts of little disobedience. But Belsnickel seldom brings gifts, but never fails to find a pretext for rigorously dusting the jackets of every young one he can lay his hands on. Just that's the that's
0: a very Amish situation we're in right now. Go but ahead.
1: they also have the right to defend themselves against his merryless castigations in any manner they may deem expedient. As the children of neighboring families generally congregate together on such occasions, it not unfrequently happens that Belsnickel's visit is attended with some rare and exciting sport, for sometimes one or two of the party will get their dutch up and whoa, 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 whoa. <laughs> get their dutch up? Yep. We're going to use that. I can't wait to hear what that means. And a regular rough and tumble will ensue frequently to the entire dis- discomfiture of poor Bis- Belsnickel. So to get your dutch up is to, like, fight? Yeah. And I guess it
0: get gets discom- ready.
1: Discomfiture of poor B- Belsnickel. This is hard to read. How do you do this? Mm. Often obliging <laughs> him to make his exit rather hastily, and sometimes minus a horn or a portion of his ghostly attire. That's it is circumstance, something similar to this, of which I am about to speak, and of which I was an eyewitness. So this is this is we just about the start, source, the story. Yeah, <laughs> that's just a preamble about Belsnickel, yeah. and mind boots. you, this was written in. The Syracuse Republican paper. (laughs) All right. right. In the little village of Wadsworth in Medina County, Ohio, there resided an honest, good-hearted Pennsylvanian Dutchman by the name of Peters, Daniel Peters. Daniel Peters. He was a tanner by trade, but also owned and worked a large farm. Danny Tanner? Danny Tanner. (laughs) Peters had in his employ an apprentice whose parents, while living, had resided at Akron, a large and flourishing village some 12 or 15 miles from Wadsworth in the country seat of Summit County. Do you mean Akron? I don't know. Oh, what did I say? Akron.
0: Akron. Akron, Ohio.
1: (laughs) Akron. Akron, Ohio. That's right.
0: I used my horrible Midwestern accent from last week. Okay. (laughs) Akron, Ohio. Akron, Ohio. Yeah. (laughs) Okay.
1: But they died and he was thrown upon the world. (laughs) An
0: orphan. (laughs) And
1: dead. Okay. Okay, So that was
0: The Apprentice. The Disney version where the parents die immediately.
1: (laughs) But he was no drone. He had been taught to labor and he would not sit despondently down now. Mm -mm. The world was before him, and he felt certain that where there was a will, there was a way. So he gathered together all he owned in the world, which was but a small bundle at best, and praying heaven to direct his steps, he set out. He knew not whither.
0: He knew not whither he would go.
1: But by good luck, or a kind intervention of providence, whichever you choose to call it, he had not proceeded far when he was overtaken by this Peter's, who it seems had been to Akron with a load of grain and was returning home. He invited the boy to ride, and as they journeyed along, the young man informed Peters of his circumstances and told him that his name was Bert Pringle. Peters agreed to take him home, and if he wished, he would learn him the tanning trade, so Bert became his apprentice. Bert Pringle, private eye. Yes, I know. The village of Wadsworth, where Peters resided, was settled... If you guys didn't know, again, for the twelfth time... Let's, Peter, let's talk, yeah. talk about Wadsworth and yeah. Peters. Good, good, good. <laughs> ...was settled almost entirely by Pennsylvania Dutchmen, who, though they are an honest and kind-hearted people, are dreadfully ignorant and superstitious. <laughs> 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 Their children were frightened into obedience by stories of spooks, ghosts and goblins, or threats that the next bellsnickel that came should carry them off. Even the werner v- Vener <laughs> like werner, <her> <laughs> even the venerable um. Peters himself was tainted with this disease and would tell of many a horrid night when things strange and unaccountable had happened, and no consideration what whatever could induce him to forego the observance of signs
0: Ooh. but
1: Bert was a philosopher
0: I thought he was a. Tanner, or something.
1: What was he? No, Bird is the eye. orphan. <laughs> oh, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> He's the orphaned private eye. <laughs> ah yes. There was no superstition about him. He was a regular harum scarum. Devil may care sort of boy. Harem scarum, devil may care. It means he was like, <laughs> whatever. Yeah. And for the matter of fear, he would as soon sleep in the graveyard as in his bed. Sounds like my husband. <laughs> Christmas. Christmas was drawing near. Christmas was drawing near and Bert was often reminded by the neighbor by the neighbor boys. (laughs) boys. In the settlement that when a newcomer appeared among them, he was sure to get broken in.
0: (laughs) (laughs) A newcomer, let's break him in.
1: (laughs) Boys, go go break in the new (laughs) guest. Neighbor boys. Thank God, it's like a brothel. Too. It is. Okay. Kravis loves this story. Look yeah. at him. And consequently, he might expect that Bell Snickle would give him a regular wallbang on that occasion. But Bert kept his own counsel and only occasionally muttered to himself, "Just let Bell Snickle wallop if he wants to, and see who will get broken in. That's all. These boys Belsnickel. here are regular thick heads. They believe and try to make me believe that this Bell Snickle is a ghost. Ghost, humph. What <laughs> Let him lay his fingers on me and see how quick I'll take his ghostliness out of him. They can't fool me. I know all about the great pair of horns and that whopping big cowhide that they hide upstairs in the pile of hair. And I didn't... Whoa, whoa, whoa. I the hear The pile of hair? Yeah. And, <laughs> and didn't I hear Jake Berkman last night telling Peters that it was all right that Phoebe Stover had agreed to make him a dough face and that he had some red ink at home that he could make himself <laughs> look at if his throat was cut and didn't I pry a clapboard off of the old mill last Sunday and catch him practicing with Stopher's big chain tied to his leg now Jake is a darned clever fellow and I like him Why are they first doing this? but if he goes to playing up ghosts and tries to oh, maul me with okay. a big gad he's hung up in the mill and I'm thinking he'll wish he was a ghost before he gets through with me ghost <gasps> I wonder if See, you can picked... swim.
0: Yeah. <laughs> and How could you time. read in? You picked the right one. I guess so. Yeah. The sorting the... hat knows. <laughs> yes. It always knows. It always knows.
1: The day before Christmas at last arrived, and Peters loaded his wagon with grain and leaving boat to take care of the children and everything else in general, went with his wife to Akron to make their usual Christmas purchases. Just like, thank God we have this boy. He can stay here with everybody else. <laughs> <laughs> Nearly. I that boy. You too, always. this, yeah. Nearly all day, Bert was busily occupied in the tan yard.
0: Just tan and yeah.
1: Yeah. <laughs> There was an old vat in the middle of the yard that had long before been condemned and filled up with tan. This tan Bert had removed and had pumped the vat full of water after accomplishing which he spread some hide over to top off it and slightly covered the hole with tan. He then distributed the remainder of the tan which he had taken from the vat evenly about the yard causing it to present the same appearance as it did before he had touched it. There! he said, as he gave it the finishing touch. Now let him wallop and see who will get broken in. Oh, boy. This is a dirty, dirty story. Just at dusk, okay. Peters came home. <laughs> Bert was called to put out the team. Uh, to put out, yeah. Put, put out
0: the team. Put out the team. Time for
1: breaking in. Yeah. Which duty he performed. Duty, sorry. I can't get through that word <laughs> without giggling. Which Which duty he performed and then got out of the old lapstone and hammer. And while supper was cooking, he and Peters cracked nuts and talked over the adventures of the day and speculated upon the probability of a visit from Bellsnickel. So they were breaking him in and cracking nuts. Oh, God. Just for
0: Bellsnickel.
1: Now, what sort of looking critter is he in anyhow? Asked Bert. Well, Bertie... I don't know if I could tell you exactly, but I suppose he'll have gray horns and perhaps he'll be covered with hair like a an ox. And they'll generally go about with chains tied to their feet and their throats cut. Their throats cut? This is terrible. Can they swim? asked Bert with a singular expression of countenance. He's like, I'm going to catch them in a lie. Ghosts can't swim. Swim? And go- <laughs> Old Peters in astonishment? Why oh, no, spooks don't swim. Obviously. Don't they? What? Well, I think they'd better learn then, said Bert. Oh. Hey, Bert. Why? What do you mean, Bert? Oh. Nothing. Only, I was thinking, the Bellsmickle might take it into his head to cross the pond, and you know the ice? Very thin.
0: Yeah. Oh. Uh It couldn't
1: break through if it was ever so thin. Spooks ain't like other folks. Mm -mm. Glad to hear it said, said Bert. But I always say, let's drop the subject and go to supper. (laughs) Okay. After supper, (laughs) they had a quick supper. The neighbor boys (gasps) began to gather in and among them came George Berkman, a brother of Jake's. Which I think Wilson, he liked. The last time is George Berkman. Now, maybe it's the same George. Which I think he liked Jake. Okay. I don't know. All right. All right. Uh, okay. Bert's quick eye soon informed him that Jake was not with them and therefore might soon be expected in the capacity of Bellsnickel. But to be certain, he asked George where Jake was and why he did not come over with the rest of them. He said he did not feel well enough to get out tonight, was the reply. He feels just well enough to get in, then, thought Bert. Oh, no. But I say, Bert, continued George, if the bell snickle comes, are you going to show fight or take your thrashing quietly? Neither, said Bert. How are you going to get around it, asked George, somewhat puzzled. I shall run, said Bert. Run, echoed George. Why, Bert, that's cowardly. Besides, it won't do you any good. For he will certainly chase you, and he's a fast son
0: of a bitch. Yeah, and he's gonna break you in. Do you think so? How far yes. do you
1: suppose uh how far do you suppose he'll chase me?
0: Mm-hmm. Uh pretty far. He
1: would chase you to Texas and back. That's far. But what but what he would catch you? Would he catch you? Yeah. Would he? I don't know.
0: Okay, so I know. well
1: now, I'll bet he gives up the race before we get halfway across the tan yard, said Bert. My knife against yours that he won't, said George. Done. Oh, shit, said Bert. The stakes were put in Peter's hands, who evidently began to smell of a mice, for he nudged Bert in the ribs and whispered with a wink, Ah, Bertie, you rogue, what you been up to? "Ah, <laughs> oh, Bertie, you rogue. <laughs> up to, echoed Bertie. Why, just what your bell will soon be into oh god sexual i know just then the rattle of chain was heard on the porch and a gen and a general stampede was made by the timid portion of assembly some dodged under the table and some under the beds others crawled into the corners each one endeavoring to get behind his neighbor Bert sat alone unnerved the apparition advanced towards him and raised his huge baton to strike but Bert. Slipped out of its way and sprang out the door, calling on George to follow if he wished to see who won. on went Bert, and the bellsnickel followed close in his wake, and George, old Peters, and all the rest came tearing along in the rear. But now Bert was reached the tanyard, and the bellsnickel <laughs> here, hear Bert laugh <laughs> That wasn't the thing, That's because they yep. tore his rear <laughs> bad. the bellsnickel was tumbled into the old vat. <laughs> Jake, who's broken now? <laughs> asked Bert tauntedly. Jake has forgiven, but never can forget Bert. Who's broken now? <laughs> Thank you. Very <So> good. <laughs> Bell Sniggle, oh, that was a good one. He's breaking shit oh, in.
0: I felt Tearing good for that. Careers. Yeah, that was a good one. <laughs> that was a good one. That was intense. Do you guys... So there's like two people here, four. Okay, we have four. That was more than yeah. before. Yeah, yeah, more than before. <laughs> keep going if you want. We can talk about other Christmas stuff. Um, how are you guys? Yes, the Mary Lloyd is here. Mm-hmm. There she is. We okay. couldn't all her glory. Yes, we couldn't have a Christmas without Mary Lloyd. Yeah, she was made just for this podcast. Definitely so. not. What? Definitely not. No, yeah, yeah. Krampus is having fun. He really liked that story. He felt really rowdy about it.
1: <laughs> so I guess
0: Jake was Belsnickel? Wild. I guess, yeah. What the fuck, man.
1: I know. Oh, In like
0: folklore, like belsnickel is Krampus-like, but he's more of a person than because um, Krampus looks like Krampus. He look, He's pretty animally looking. is <laughs> a little pudger. <laughs> did a little round ball Krampus. <laughs> I love him so much look at his little crossed eyes and his little pointy tongue I love him do you think this is one of those things though that like his Krampus is so bad
1: that like we shouldn't make him cute like that that ruins it like we're supposed I mean, to be scared
0: of him yeah we're supposed to be scared of him for sure it's like
1: Voldemort when like J.K. Rowling's like don't call him Voldy because that makes him like not as evil
0: I mean for sure but I like him so i mean keep him, look at him, look at his little feet. Yeah, he is so cute. I know. Look at him; he's excited to be here for stories. Um, what do we have? Hi, oh, Krampus. Yeah, he's a cute little Krampus. I mean, I don't think I would let scary Krampus live here. So yeah, just this one.
1: Chris, did you make it through all of the stories, Mister Yappy Pie? Mm-hmm.
0: Mm-hmm. 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 <laughs> They make cute Cthulhu's. Uh, They do. Yeah, which
1: I have. So I guess, Oh, shame on me. Oh,
0: so I guess we can't talk over here.
1: But I don't know, is Cthulhu like... I just feel like he's just a being who just is, man. I mean, I guess that's his purpose, too. Somebody's gotta love him.
0: I know. It's just his job. He gets the naughty children. Everyone has a mother. Yeah. (laughs) He gets the naughty children. If those children weren't naughty, then Krampus wouldn't be getting them. So maybe they should behave. Yeah. And there's levels to Krampus. If you're kind of bad, he'll just threaten you with a stick or, or instead of candy in your shoes, he'll leave a stick. Oh man. So, you know, like it could be coming, but if you're like a little bit more bad, then he will hit you with the stick. If you're even more bad than that, he will hit you with a stick and put you in the basket on his back and take you to, like, Spain. If you're really, really bad, he will put you in the basket and drag you to hell!
1: Whoa. I want to be bad enough to just go to Spain. Yeah, that's not bad. That sounds like a good time. You do
0: have to get hit with a branch and put in a basket, though.
1: I mean, that's like a
0: Tuesday for me. (laughs) Hit me with the branches. Take me to Spain. Mm-hmm. There, are, so there are tears to how bad Krampus is to you, depending on how badly you have behaved. I don't know. Well, yeah, so like he can't be all bad. That's his job. Santa Claus had the ham babies. <laughs> Krampus messes mm-hmm. shit. I feel like every year I want to tell the story of Saint Nicholas and the ham babies. That's one of my favorites.
1: I think that's a good
0: one. When we went to, um, so when I was in, where was this? When I was in, I can't remember right now. Where was I? I can't remember. Austria? Yeah, but I I can't remember the town right now. The Sound of Music Town. Oh. Um. Hold on. My brain hurts. Anybody? It begins with an S. I think I can't. My brain is just not latching on to facts right now. I know it. I just can't remember it for no reason. Siri. Oh, don't
1: talk. (laughs) What is the sound of Music
0: Town? Mm. That's one way to ask it. Salzburg. Salzburg, yes. So when I was in Salzburg, we went to a Christmas museum. Everything was in German. Nothing was in English, but I... Fucking loved it. How it was rude just, is that? <laughs> I loved it. Just kidding. <laughs> it was all like Christmas memorabilia. Um, and I'm sorry, Dr. Lisa, do you listen to Sinisterhood? One of their recent episodes featured a debate about whether Santa is a cryptid or not. I do not, but I have heard that debate before, yeah. and he is not, in my opinion. But Santa comes from a person. Usually, people are not cryptids. They're usually like part because cryptozoology has an animal element. And, um, but I feel like we that, what he turned into. Because then, unless you're like religious, not I'm but Santa comes from religious iconography. So, I mean, we did a whole episode on, on, um, on Santa and where Santa comes from, mm-hmm. and none of it has none of it isn't a person. Right. So to me, I would say, no, Santa is absolutely not a cryptid. You would have to really buy into the, the portion of Santa's story that veers off and says he's an elf. And then, then you have a debate. If you think, if you believe the Rankin-Bass side of Santa lore, where Santa is, uh, is actually, well, no, I guess Rankin-Bass believe that Santa was a human baby raised by elves. So still No. Could he become a cryptid? No. Why? Unless he gains animals, cryptid. You're gonna make people hate me because I'm saying someone can't identify the way they want. Thanks, <laughs> <Sorry>. Leslie. It's <laughs> bad for you too. Just so you know, um, if we're gonna go on like strict definition, unless. Santa has an incident wherein his DNA mingles with another species, and then he is part something else. He cannot technically be a cryptid. You can't just, like, choose to be a cryptid. It's well, like he... saying, I choose to be a
1: camel. But if he started off as human and was mortal, and then
0: somehow became immortal,
1: then then does that make of,
0: him no? Because vampires are not cryptids; they're just immortal people. Mm-hmm. From from what I have gleaned from the cryptozo cryptozoology stuff we have done, which is not a lot but was enough, cryptids have like a lot of an an a mythological animal aspect to them. And I guess mythological you could say Santa has mythological um, roots in a lot of ways. But mm-hmm. I still would say no um what do you say lisa do you think herbie the elf is revered by dental students he should be if he isn't he really fought mm-hmm. for that dentistry thing really did. i mean like way more than anybody mm-hmm. else ever would do you guys know why the doll is on the island of misfit toys because she's depressed mm-hmm. yeah the doll has depression issues that's why she's a misfit toy Yep, upsetting isn't it yeah
1: mm-hmm. mental health
0: mm-hmm. it's a bitch real bummer I don't know do you think santa's a cryptid what if he has reindeer feet then, he's a boot. then there you go then he could be a cryptid krampus is a cryptid i would give him that because krampus is like a big hairy monster beast yeah and he has like unidentifiable mythos like we don't know where krampus came from we don't know why he looks like that he just is a demon what if well i can tell you why he looks like that and where it comes from but uh, uh, still i was gonna say what if they were actually siblings and like
1: that's a better story and like Santa was just like the more humany looking one mm-hmm. so he was allowed to like go out and do stuff and like get away with being like so a So it's human. like a jersey double thing? Yeah. Mm-hmm. Trademark. Yeah. Um and then he was just like and then his the mom was
0: just like Nick, take your brother out once in a while. Or she was <laughs> like we don't let Krampus out of the attic. Maybe. That's a better story. The much better story, but it is not the the actual story. I do not think Santa is a cryptid, but I'd never heard that argument before. Mm. What was their argument? Did they think he was a cryptid? Did they have reasons? Was it it mythology-based? I'm just curious. Or were they like, it's a thing? (laughs) It says in the night before Christmas, a ripe, jolly old elf, and then therefore there is a debate about whether Santa is in fact an elf. But according to Rankin-Bass lore, Santa is a human baby Mm -hmm. raised by elves. And you all know Rankin-Bass is part of our um, Santa religion. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry, I forget. I was driving. Got it. That makes... That's fine. We forgive you. Yeah. Um, a lot, there's a lot of Christmas cryptids. Like, almost every other Christmas thing could be considered a cryptid. We briefly talked about Grila and the Yule Lads. They have myth base. We talked about Krampus. Obviously, he has a lot of myth base, and he has a lot of different, like, spooky, monstery features. Um, Bell's Nickel can be considered a cryptid because of that. Um or he's just Jake. Or he's Jake. Um, Marloid is the horse skull as a you know, if it was ever a living thing, which it really isn't, but still, Ooh, Ooh. Marloid. But like most other of the Christmas myths we've talked about, yeah, you could make the argument that they definitely are, but because Santa is so based in St. Nicholas? I'm going to have to say no. Okay. Yeah. And that's our final word on that story. Yes. We've done it. Yeah. Anything else we want to talk about while we're here? Mm -hmm. No. Anybody listen to the latest episode? Yeah. Talk about Tommy Lintels. Why not? We have the most people here that we've had. I know. And we just—you need one another story. What do, we, yeah. what do we? What do we do? We each read one. Ooh. Mm-hmm. Oh. This is getting tired. I. wrote yeah. him later. <laughs> mm. Dippy went under the couch. He's gone. He was in and out. He was up on the couch a few times. Yeah. He tried to jump up. He missed. It happens. It he's does, a small. He's dog. so small. He did not get any bigger. He's like almost five pounds and that's all we're getting you started talking about the bell snickel and i immediately wanted to connect it back to nelson rimeyer and hex hollow oh oh i'm a few episodes behind from the move okay ashley that's all right that's then you,
1: right. you have that's plenty right. you
0: can catch up <laughs> we have um, well i mean we usually give people who are in attendance of our lives a a sneak peek into our next episode. So every year we do like a Christmas folklore mythology type episode. We did Elves first, which was so fun. I love our episode on Elves. I know. I think that's one
1: of my faves.
0: Me too. I think we should share them, like yeah. bump them up so people could if they want Christmas listening. And then last year we did Santa, which is why I can effectively argue that Santa's not a Christmas because I know a lot about him. Um, and this year we are doing Ebenezer Scrooge. Yay! Mm-hmm. Who is based on a real person, something I did not know. And the real person that Ebenezer Scrooge is based on is probably the most ridiculous human of all time. Of all time. Yeah. So, okay. and um, I'll probably try and touch on like a couple other Christmas Carol characters and see if I can find you some um, possible basis for them. I don't think I want to know who Tiny Tim was based on. That'll be too sad. <laughs> no, we'll just talk about diseases that would make you limp then. Yeah. I Actually, I'll tell you what a lot of people speculate Tiny Tim do mm-hmm. have um, been suffering with. So that's a good part to put in there. Uh, yeah. Okay. You can do one of the ghosts or something. Cool. Let's see. All right. Yeah. Because Christmas present was based on Father Christmas. Yeah. Which John talked about on our last live briefly. Yes. Because Father Christmas is separate than like mm-hmm. Santa and St. Nicholas. And all oh, that's the other when iterations. we did our
1: like little TikTok,
0: right? Yes. That was what John was dressed as when we did last year's Mary Light, which we should just share again. Yeah. We will. That was really fun. Yeah. That was we were really like fun. a little drunk and we were wandering around outside my house. I had moved in, not even moved in my stuff yet. My house was empty. <laughs> oh, that yeah. was when your husband was like, there's a dead bird in your basement. Yeah.
1: And that's why this is a great place to live.
0: I I really put together that my neighbor's cat put it there. Mm. Probably got in when the doors were open or something and left it there for us because he since has left the couple in our driveway. I love it. Yeah. That's hilarious. Yeah. So it's fine. fine. Cool. Yeah, it's good. Yeah, I'm excited. I um perform, little known facts, or if you know me, well known facts, I performed in the Christmas Carol for 13 years at Elaine's. So I've done this show like actual actual thousands of times probably because we did three shows a day a lot of times. Yeah. Adeline's So I know Christmas. Yeah, I know. It was was a lot. So I know Christmas Carol really well. I wrote one of the versions that we did too. So this is a story that kind of like lives inside me. So it's going to be really fun to um, talk about. I'm really excited to write a monologue to go with it because I have long wanted to be able to play Scrooge because I did it for so long. And I feel like I deserved it. Yeah. But, you know, there are no Lady Scrooges. Actually, there are. There are a couple authors that wrote Lady Scrooges, but. Yeah. None of them are contacting me to do it. So write your congressman. Yeah, like Devil Wears Prada. It's kind of. <laughs> kind of, yeah. She's a Lady Scrooge. She is a Lady Scrooge. <laughs> yeah. But anyway, um, I'm excited to get back into that world and to write about Scrooge and to write about Christmas Carol um, and to do and to let you know how a Christmas Carol saved Christmas because it did. Before Christmas Carol was published, Christmas was a dying holiday. Mm-hmm. It was nothing. And it was just a religious observance. It wasn't as like festive and great. Yeah. And if Charles Dickens hadn't written it, we wouldn't have what we do today. So very true. I have lots of fun things to talk about in our Scrooge yeah. episode. So get excited. Yay. Yeah, I think that's that's, that's it. it. Leslie, do you have anything to add
1: before we end? Well, Holly, um you know what? Well, so earlier today. <laughs> I was um I was on the googles mm-hmm, I was looking mm-hmm, for some stuff mm-hmm. and uh I came across a site it was um com, and now every time I ask her it's a commercial they had some really great stuff Did they Yeah they had they had soap, all natural. Um, it was made locally in our area, too. Who makes that nice. soap? Um, two women, actually. What are their names? Corinne yes. and uh, Leslie, actually. Leslie? Leslie? Yeah, very interesting. One of, one of their names. Yeah, does she make candles? Yeah, yes. She does. She makes a lot of candles, soy-based, essential oils. It's all really good. And the best part is every single product.
0: Not every one. Every Oh, my God
1: is made with a healthy dose of validation,
0: because it's a hill worth dying on. It is a hill worth dying on. Mm-hmm. So, Tell us more. Lisa, you know all of it. Yeah. <laughs> so, Lisa, if you go to... Lisa, you've been there with us. <laughs> yeah, if you come and visit us, you can mm-hmm. go to soaps. Yeah. Leslie will take you.
1: I will take you to to, to buy I'll things. At
0: you... <laughs> I will open that door so fast. Yes, you will. <laughs> Maybe you'll go to the Stone Harbor one. Yeah. You never know.
1: Yeah. Well, we're closing in Stone Harbor right now. Mm-hmm. Um, we are open every day in Cape May. Ooh. Ten to five. You can go in, make a candle, do a little candle bar action.
0: You should just With get our, our uh, trees equal murder candle because that
1: we don't have any great. more. You had to come to the live show. That was a very special gift.
0: Yeah, I guess you uh, really wish you had it. It smells like Christmas trees and yeah. mm mm-hmm. It does. Mm-hmm. it got like faint murder notes. Yeah. Or, like the poisony women murders.
1: It, what was it? It was uh, notes suspicion. of a balsam fir, uh, eucalyptus, and suspicion. Yeah,
0: something like that. That's right. Suspicion. Wild. Yeah, I love mine. I'm what do I do when it's done? I always get sad when your candles are done. I can always refill them.
1: Yeah. I, I and you can bring your vessels in too and refill and get the
0: yeah. um trees equal murder scent. Yeah, bring your trees and, equal murder candle. Yeah. If you came to one of our uh live shows this fall. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Once upon a time I drank several martinis and went to a little crazy <laughs> at George's <short stops>. house. <laughs> this is so true. <laughs> You know what? <laughs> I bet you did not live to regret that, though. Mm-mm. It's all good. Live show was so far for the tip of the state. I, I know. know we do. We are on the broken off piece of New Jersey's tail. We have talked about trying to take our show. On the road to mm-hmm. um, places that are closer to more of our fiends, but we just want really like kinda... a more
1: designated, like a like a similar city. I really or think something. it needs to be
0: like Philly first, probably because we have a lot of um, like central North Jersey people. We have Philly people. We have mm-hmm. Pennsylvania people. We have, you know, that's like a a, a yeah. city too, so it'll be a yeah. little easier. Um, so I'm hoping in 2023 maybe we can do a show there. Yeah, we'll see. We kind of would have to sell tickets ahead of time because sometimes hard yeah for sure yeah so you but guys would have to want to come <sighs> we're coming to
1: a to a city near you <laughs> oh city near you yes possibly yes okay
0: well i always have to look when my phone buzzes and we're on a live because sometimes it's someone being like you are glitching or yeah. you said something weird or like <laughs> your tits out i don't know I don't whatever Tits out i mean if if you're
1: here at the live you get to see it it's fine uh, the first show was at Tyndall
0: Road, right? The first show ever? Yeah. The, or the first show this fall. The first. Where was the first show that was fall? Oh, okay. Yeah, we did Tyndall Road in Bordentown. They're a, um, a brewery. They're a small business. They're great. Um, and Bordentown is where I grew up. And we could go back to Tyndall if Bordentown is like a a common area for anybody. It seemed to be kind of a difficult destination for a lot of our people to get to. But we did have a lot of people there. It was nice. Mm-hmm. It was hard for sound, but we can figure that out. It was hard for sound, but also that was our first show ever, and we did not close the venue down. We left the venue open for walk-ins and for people who were just drinking and stuff and hanging out, and that may have not... I don't know if that works in our favor or not. I think at Cape Bay Brewing Company last year, it did, because this year, when we didn't have that, it was, like, a little less fun. Mm-hmm. Um, we also
1: at, we were also competing with The World Series and Sunday football. And it it was was. a local game that was on that day. Like the Eagles were playing. playing. So that That was, there wasn't anybody even outside Mm -mm. that day. Mm -mm.
0: So that was rough. Yeah. But we had,
1: we had a good crowd. Yeah, we
0: had people. We had fun. Mm -hmm. We had a fine time. But we do, I do think we need, um, Cape May can be a hard location it, yeah. for people who don't live in Cape May because we're mm-hmm. so far removed from and the rest not, of the state. And it's not, like, cheap to stay. It's not. It's definitely not. And we love you guys, and we would put as many of you up as possible, but that's not many, mm-hmm. so. <laughs> give you a tent. <laughs> yeah, we can give you a sleeping bag. Yeah. <laughs> but, um, yeah, we'll try. I would love to. I would actually, I've been trying to do this for a couple of years, but we really didn't have the assets. I'd like to do a Salem show this arc, this yeah. next October. Um. We would have to kind of book that this summer and really build it up. But um, that was my, my favorite town.
1: Yeah.
0: It's a town Leslie really loves, too. And maybe we could kind of make, like, a fiend trip out of it where – because we talked about doing a yeah. trip where it was, mm-hmm. like, we have activities. You can meet us there or you can't, whatever. Mm-hmm. And then it would culminate in, like, a live show. Yeah. I think that would be super fun. Yeah, I think so, too. It'd be, like, a big sleepover in the best place ever. And we would just do Halloween mm. things and eat at good restaurants. Yeah. And we also want to do a trip to Ireland. <laughs> I desperately want to go to Ireland. So badly. And I will do the creepy Jameson guy boys. Yeah. The whole time. I'm sorry. I know. I want to get like a travel agent. I'm and, in like, the corner of the pub. <laughs> oh, my God. Where's Ollie? I'm over here. Oh, my God. Bring me oh. a boy. <laughs> that's, what it, that's what it was. That was our first episode where we had a boy. I know. It's wonderful. the memories (laughs) the memories of that boy they did not eat that boy no so it was fine he was too important he was too important well yeah those are all the things we want to do i mean there are definitely more but like things we've talked about possibly being goals not possibly but being goals for the next year i think that's a fiend trip is a good goal to have Mm
1: -hmm. we go somewhere
0: somewhere or maybe we can all meet up and have a fabulous weekend Mm -hmm. um i'd like to have a show somewhere else Maybe a couple other where else's if we can work it out. Mm-hmm. I'd like to travel more, just for my own, for our own fun. Yes, for our health and well being. Yes, for our health and well being, we must see the world. Mm-hmm. Yep. So yeah. Anyway, so that was our live for Christmas this year. Thank, Thank you to all four <laughs> of you who came. Yes. God blesses everyone. And have a merry holiday. It have a lovely satanic pizza Friday. I sure did. Cheers! Toast!
1: Oh,
0: oh no! Cheers empty. Toast. Toast! Toast. To, uh, to Bert. Yeah. <laughs> Belsnickel. Yeah. Jake. And uh, Fleming. Yeah. I can't remember the other names from my story. It was uh, very long. Um, Wilson. Wilson George Wilson. Who was yes. the evil star guy? I don't know if we like him. Mm-hmm. Okay, I guess that's all for tonight. Okay. Bye! Bye!
1: Thank you for listening to the We Would Be Dead podcast. Hit subscribe now to never miss an episode. Rate and review our show on iTunes. Follow us on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter at Pod and join our Facebook group to discuss the podcast and more.